Welcome to the Amazing Nerd Show. Now grabbing some pie with Mobius. Strap in folks, the nerds have arrived, bringing you the ultimate nerd podcast. Nerds, the worlds of gaming, horror, TV, and film have collided right here. This will be your finest hour. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is David. And this is the Amazing Nerd Show. All right, on this week's podcast, we're breaking down episode four of season two of Loki, and we also have a film review for Five Nights at Freddy's. Plus, we got our AW Weekend Review. But with that said, let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest headlines and rumors of nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with opinions. Warning, potential spoilers for upcoming shows and movies ahead. Check timestamps to avoid spoilers. You have been warned. So to start things off this week, we've got an update on the SAG after strike. As today is Thursday for us, the AMPTP has sent another offer to SAG, which they took an extra day this week to go over, all before heading to the negotiation stage that was once more supposed to happen today, Thursday the 26th. Sources told Deadline that it was a step in the right direction, that everyone involved seems to be a little bit more happy with you know where things are with that. But again, we will see what happens at the actual negotiation table. Also, before we move on, uh, just quick update. They did meet today. Just as of 15 minutes ago, SAG released a statement saying, today we passed a comprehensive counter across the table to the CEOs, and while talks for the day have ended, our committee just completed working internally tonight. We are scheduled to meet across the table again tomorrow. So it sounds like things are definitely headed in the right direction, knock on wood. Um, I feel like we've been here, though. Uh, uh-huh. in the past <laughs> <laughs> so i'm trying to be optimistic but we know that you know shit could hit the fan at any moment um there was a rumor i think that you know if things don't get settled this week possibly the ceos can just you know cut off talks all the way to january Jesus. Um, which is pretty scary to think so hopefully some kind of deal gets reached because moving on uh reportedly we have another round of delays on the way we're on the street is that big delays are coming for 2024 with negotiations still going on between sag and the studios paramount this week pushed back its current slate of films from mission impossible dead reckoning now you know getting pushed all the way into 2025 and a quiet place day one taking its place now in june on the 28th of next year originally a quiet place was going to be coming out um early march but variety sources claim that this may only be the beginning as warner is rumored to be you know thinking about doing some delays themselves um delaying beetlejuice 2 and robert de niro's wise guys film these sources you know believe that most 2024 releases will be looking at you know new dates in 2025 instead you know, due to the films not being able to go back to production yet. Yeah, I mean, you got to figure even if the actors and studios like come to some sort of agreement this week, we're still in store for a lot of delays, like even once things get up and running and back to normal, uh, because some of these release dates, you know, that are still on the calendar just seem un- just unfeasible at this point. Um, you know, we know how things work when it comes to, you know, <laughs> these big productions, mm-hmm. you know, even the smaller productions, there's so many moving parts to get something made nowadays that, you know, I, I just, I just foresee, you know, a big drought in the theaters, you know, coming our way um, over the next like couple of years. Um, you know, hopefully it's not like, you know, pandemic big, but 
it just seems like the ripple effect is going to be vast and wide. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine anything coming out early 2024. You know, there's so many things that still haven't like shifted their dates. Well, it's just like, how is that What's going to happen is the films that were supposed to come out in 2023 that got moved uh-huh. are going to come out in 2024, <laughs> you know. But at, at a certain point, they're going to run out of films that just, you know, that mm-hmm. weren't even in production. So they're, you know, eventually there's going to be a gap, it feels like. Or we're going to have a serious quality problem because a lot of productions are going to end up being rushed, um, which isn't a good thing either. But you so, know what's going to happen? It's yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I would. I. I honestly would much rather deal with you know kind of a lull in you know mm-hmm. theatrical releases and you know even you know television releases um, if it means you know we don't have to deal with a, a dip in quality. God knows we've seen a lot of that with you know pandemic releases when it comes to quality overall lord knows i'm already scared for deadpool 3 and their effects because it although it, it might not be as extensive because you know it's just body parts and they can do a lot of that practical if they wanted to but you know they're not going to <laughs> i hope the studios have learned their lesson and that you know they realize now that fans are willing to wait mm-hmm. um you know, and that it won't affect their bottom line. Because I truly believe that, you know, moviegoers are going to go see these films, even if it gets pushed back six months, um, it, you know, to, or to even a year. I mean, if anything, I, I truly believe it's a case of like, you know, distance makes the heart grow fonder, um, where, you know, it, you'll get people jonesing for the next like Marvel release or, you know, whatever big release is, mm. you know, on the horizon. And I think it's a better option than leaving a bad taste in audiences' mouths, you know, with the lesser than release. Because we, I mean, we've recently seen how detrimental that can be to a franchise. I mean, Marvel's definitely took a pretty big hit over the last, like, couple years. You know, because they just, quality-wise, they just haven't been up to snuff, you know, when it comes to things like effects and everything. And, you know, a lot of the shows just feel rushed. Um, So, yeah, you know. Take your time, breathe, and, you know, put out quality work. Well, speaking of Marvel, it looks like the MCU finally retconned a huge Spider-Man Homecoming continuity error. Marvel has officially published a timeline book for its cinematic universe, and in it, they have finally retconned the mistake in Spider-Man Homecoming that set the film's date in 2020, when we got a title card that read eight years later after the Battle of New York. In this new book, Ms. Minutes clarifies both the time card and Vulture's line in the film about having been under the radar for the last eight years as clerical mistakes by the TVA, saying that the actual events of Homecoming took place in 2016. I love that there's an in-canon excuse uh-huh. <laughs> for this. <laughs> like some desk jockey in the TVA just fucked things up or it's just bad at math. Um, whatever. I felt like they fixed this already, honestly. But maybe they just didn't give like an in-canon excuse. Um, but I, I'm pretty sure like there was another film that like had the dates or something like that corrected. I mean, I, I remember when the film came out, everyone was screaming, you know, foul like that. That makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> I just hope that the contents of this book get uploaded to like a website and like are just, you know, someone's cataloging all the events. Well, you would think that Kevin Foggy would have someone keeping track of all this shit, right? Like someone uh-huh. overseeing continuity. <laughs> I would just assume, because I have no idea how that got past someone originally. Like, that makes no sense. And I know, like, maybe it was like a Sony Marvel thing, 
Like somehow the MCU just missed it. Like somehow it was some just oversight script wise uh, by Foggy and crew, but but it's a pretty big fuck up. Uh, I mean, it's the reason why like in comic books, they don't put dates on shit. If you ever noticed that. So I, I mean, not noticed that. Oh yeah, no, they don't date anything. Hmm. Because obviously you have these character stories being told over decades. So if you put like an actual year on something, it just makes no sense story-wise. So um, you deal, then you have to deal with a lot of retconning. And I mean, they still have to retcon a lot, but you know, usually, you know, they stay away from like actual like dates because you got to know your fan base. Like, I mean, we're going to jump all over that shit. Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> like right away, I'm sure once, you know, people saw that film and saw that timeline mistake, like, you know, there was a hundred articles written, like how that made no sense whatsoever. I'm sure we talked about it on the podcast. Oh, yeah. So, um, <laughs> well, all right, a ton of news dropped after recording the show. So I'm going to run through some additional stories we got this week. Um, like Daredevil Born Again, finding its new directors. Per The Hollywood Reporter this week, Dario Scardapane, who worked on The Punisher and Tom Clancy's Jack Ryan, is the new showrunner, while Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, who have been you know with Marvel for a while now on Moon Knight and Loki, are set to direct all the remaining episodes of the season, which I feel is like uh, some interesting wording here, as I thought they may actually scrap what they've already done, but perhaps um, there is a way to salvage some of the work that's been done so far and maybe add some scenes here. Because a lot of those early rumors were saying, you know, Matt Murdock might not even suit up in those first four episodes based off the original plans for the series. So I wonder how far, you know, they got into shooting and how many changes they're probably gonna have to make to work in this new direction for the show. So we know that they wanted to change up all the creative direction for it. We also got a rumored update for Thor 5 as industry insider Daniel RPK posted on Marvel actively developing the fifth film while also searching for a new director to take the helm. That means Taika Waititi is probably out on doing the next Thor film, which I don't personally have an issue with right now, but it's just always more surprising to think that there has been this many Thor films over the years um compared to all the other characters we've got if i'm not mistaken he has the most films in the mcu which is crazy deadline also gave us a story on a potential highlander reboot as they confirmed a film is moving forward with john wick director chad selhelski on and the script is being penned by mike finch who wrote for um, john wick 4. they also mentioned that our highlander would be played by henry cavill which you know after the witcher series just seems like the perfect fit for the role um i have a bit of nostalgia for highlander i still quote the film to this day so i'm excited for a modern reboot here and i trust you know uh chad stilhelski's eye for action so we'll see what happens uh with this you know film in the future on the horror front, Don Mancini, creator of Chucky and Child's Play, of course, while doing promotion for Chucky Season 3, interviewers asked if Chucky can stand having competition now in characters like Megan, which really to paraphrase Mancini here, kind of pisses Chucky off for not being the only one anymore, and you know what happens when he gets angry. These comments have caused a lot of people to wonder if there's a possible crossover in the future, like Freddy versus Jason, since both properties are under the you know, Universal Pictures brand. Um, when Mancini was asked about such a project, all he had to say was stay tuned. So perhaps something could be happening, but I wouldn't expect any you know, news about this anytime soon. Um, speaking of Universal, them 
and Blumhouse announced that a sequel for Black Phone is in the works with it set for a June 27th, 2025 release. All right, last but not least, we got an update on the upcoming Blackula reboot. Already updated fans of the black exploitation horror classic Blackula that its reboot would finally arrive for Halloween season 2024. Dion Taylor of Meet the Blacks and Fear fame is still on to produce and direct this film. Uh, the film synopsis goes, Blackula is an ancient African prince who is cursed by Dracula after he fails to agree to end the slave trade. Blackula is entombed and awakens 200 years later ready to avenge the death of his ancestors and those responsible for robbing his people of their work, culture, and heritage as they appropriated it for profit. I mean, looking back at the film now, uh, you know, the original Blackula was pretty fucking hokey. Uh, but at the time when I first saw it, I believe it was like Son of Svanguli, you know, is where I actually watched it for the first time. Uh, I was like probably like nine or something like that, but it scared the shit out of me. Um, the concept is really cool, though. And I mean, you can make a really great like anti-hero with, a, you know, the Blackula character. So mm -hmm. so I'm interested to see like what direction they decide to take the film. And now for the nerds breakdown of Loki season two, episode four. Heavy spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Victor, I need to tell you. Tell, tell you. I need to tell you. You'll never be him. We kick off this week at the end of time, moments after last week's episode with Miss Minutes unveiling secrets to Renslayer. What we witness is kind of like a miniature version of He Who Remains talking with Renslayer after achieving victory in the war amongst the Kangs. As past Renslayer returns to the TVA, He Who Remains gives Miss Minutes the order to wipe all the TVA's memories. Present day Miss Minutes further explains that Renslayer was more than just the head of the TVA, but the leader of his armies, that he had actually promised to rule over this sacred timeline together with, but instead had her mind erased so that she could continue to work for him, keeping you know the TVA in order while he sat at his throne. Miss Minutes suggests that perhaps they can go on working together, saying that they never actually really needed him. So yeah, I mean, after a pretty big cliffhanger last week, I'm glad that they gave us the reveal up front. Um, I don't know, like not that the reveal was flat, but. I think it was just something that we both kind of assumed already yeah. happened. So I was expecting a little more, you know, to the reveal. I, I think we were kind of like, you know, knocking around the idea that maybe, you know, Renslayer and uh, He Who Remains might have had a relationship or something like that. Like there was a deeper connection that we didn't know about. Not that, you know, her being a general of all his armies isn't a deep connection, but something more intimate. Um, but you know, that wasn't the case. And I'm fine with that. Like, I'm not going to be a weirdo and be upset at the show for not giving me exactly, you know, what happened in my headcanon. So <laughs> it is what it is. I think I was just expecting this earth shattering reveal. And this was something that I felt like, I don't know, I, I just almost felt like we knew this already. I mean, because it's just very easily telegraphed. Like if everyone else was mind swiped, why wouldn't she have been? But mm -hmm. I guess I was kind of hoping that she wasn't technically fully like mind swiped, like there was a little bit more to her connection with Kang at that time uh, and, beforehand. But and it might be partially due because of the comics, like she's like one of Kang's like right hand people, and she mm -hmm. is like you know I, I believe she was like one of the generals in you know some of the time wars. So maybe that's why I just assumed that that was already known. Um, so I don't know. 
I don't know. And maybe it's just a case of us speculating on the show. <laughs> so, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, it was a fine reveal. I'm mm. not shitting on it, even though it sounds like I'm totally <laughs> shitting on it. With that being said, I did like how this moment was really kind of angling and establishing that Miss Minutes and Renslayer seem like the actual big bad of this season. Mm -hmm. That's definitely something I wasn't expecting. At the TVA, Victor timely arrives to find monuments to a former version of himself. Wandering the halls, B-15 finds Timely staring at the mural of the Timeline Wars. Loki and Mobius you know, soon arrive and Timely ask what they truly want from him. Not sure if he can actually trust the TVA after everything that went down with Renslayer and Miss Minutes. But as he explains that he just wants the freedom to choose what he does instead of you know being coerced by everyone into doing it, he hears the temporal loom wailing in the background and Loki tells him that he's the only one who can fix it. B-15 then speaks with Judge Gamble on what they should do with the traitors who pruned all those timelines back in episode two. Gamble explains that in the past, the TVA would actually just prune them and move on. But as B-15 had said in the past, they need things to change here in the TVA and suggests that B-15 speak to Docs and convince her and her soldiers to join forces with the TVA once more. It really feels like to me, when all is said and done, B-15 is going to end up being like the new Renslayer of the TVA, if you will. Like she's going to be the leader that they all look to. I mean, ever since, you know, season one, when she finds out the true nature of the TVA, she's really like turned into kind of like the moral compass of the organization and you know seems to be really trying to change it for the better which when you really think about it like she's you know probably always thinking about how many timelines she's herself has pruned over these years and hopefully that you know pushes the tva in the right direction but i can't imagine having to make this choice then you know it's like this person knows or possibly knows that she's cost billions of lives and then goes ahead and does another couple billion of lives you know what what kind of choice is it to keep that person around um, for the betterment of the tva if you know if it's possible yeah i mean at this point i was smelling collusion i was like <laughs> i don't know if you could trust this judge um now obviously that didn't come to be but yeah like it feels like maybe we should just keep them behind locked doors at this point you know at least for a little bit right like <laughs> yeah because they did you know, like you said, you just killed billions of people, you know, trying to stay true to a mission that which like after she found out, they found out what they found out. You would think they would, you know, be horrified by, you know, and completely, you know, reject. Seeing all the technology around, Victor Timely struggles to stay on task as Loki and Mobius bring him to Obi's office. However, his focus shifts immediately once he finds out he's actually meeting the man who wrote the TVA guidebook, which, you know, helped him design all of his inventions. OB explains he learned everything he knew from Timely as the two of them geek out over each other and actually try to get each other to sign their guidebooks. This is a weird time paradox um, <laughs> that I don't want to even try to wrap my head around. Um, you know, OB even recognizes it here, right? He says it's the snake eating the snake's tail, so it, it is what it is. Um, but just for clarification purposes, okay? <laughs> okay. So, he who remains sends Renslayer Miss Minutes back in time to make sure that his younger self receives the TVA handbook. 
Yes. Now he's doing this because that that was the sacred timeline at first. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So he's doing that to ensure that a TVA is created. Correct. I believe so. Okay, but that causes a branch timeline. I don't. I feel like because it's part of the sacred timeline that this is just an infinite loop. Like, but you if, know, you, like if you watch always... the episode when they hmm. show you the World's Fair, it says branch timeline. I oh, okay. All right, so well, then... it is a branch timeline. And yeah, that would cause a a branch okay so okay. then the victor timely that met uh ob originally would then technically be a different version of victor, victor timely Tim yes yeah. so there is a chance that this victor timely could end up taking a different path than he who remains at the yes. end of the day but we'll talk about it later but i i feel like there's more than meets the eye here <laughs> and like he who remains would have some like built-in fail safes to make sure things go the way that he wants them, if you will. But we'll talk about that later, like I said. Sylvie getting tired of their bromance gets the boys back on track and Obi start to, you know, go over their plan, which is to expand the current loom to hold more timelines. But in their run-throughs of how expanding, you know, would actually go, the timelines all would seem to decay before the loom could fully process them in every simulation that they ran. That's when Timely comes in with his throughput multiplier and explains how it may actually solve their issues and believes if anyone can actually, you know, figure out how to put these two machines together, it's him and OB. So these two are absolutely adorable together. Uh, <laughs> but we kind of figured like once they like actually met that, you know, the chemistry would just jump off the screen and that's exactly what's happening here. Um, Dear Lord, I mean, the quirkiness, like, between those two guys, like, um, now with that being said, I'm still sticking to my theory that there's, like, a dark side to OB that we don't know about, um, and that he might not even know about, you know, since he's been mind-wiped so many times, like, I could see him also being, you know, one of He Remains right-hand men, um, mm -hmm. you know, helping him win, you know, the great, like, time war, or whatever the hell they call it at this point, uh, um, you know, alongside Renslayer. Just because he knows so much. Um, he has to know. Like, he right? had to have been a super important figure. Exactly. So I feel like he's probably on board with He Who Remains mission uh, in some shape or fashion. I mean, we'll see if they end up going down that road. But, I mean, he's basically the person who's keeping the TVA afloat at this point. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, th there's got to be more Toby. But you know it's going to be like the quirkiest like come out too like yeah of course i i agree with he who were maids yeah <laughs> no i agree i agree leaving them to it mobius suggests to sylvie and loki that they go get some pie and relax for a moment this rubs sylvie the wrong way as she snaps on the idea of taking a moment for themselves while timelines continue to die and calls out mobius for you know being so nonchalant about it all especially as someone who is too scared to look into his own timeline to see if it even still exists. Sylvie storms off and Loki pursues her. I feel like we're gonna get a reveal that Mobius actually did go back to his timeline and maybe he didn't like what he saw. Hmm. You know, I, I just feel like they're really harping on it now. Um, you know, I, you know, either that or we're gonna see a moment where he does eventually go back at the end of the season. Cause I believe in the trailer there is like a shot of him um 
in front of like a jet ski store or something like that. Mm. So I, I and I actually think that's the only scene we haven't seen yet from the trailers. So we're kind of flying blind in, with the next the last two episodes, which I like. Um, but yeah, I just feel like something heartbreaking like took place, you know, in his real life. And and that's why he's so wrapped up in the TVA and seemingly doesn't want to go back. Down in the holding cells, X5 or Brad argues with Docs about coming up with a plan to escape. But Docs wants none of it, especially from someone who, you know, sold out their plans to Loki and Mobius. B-15 arrives to try and, you know, talk sense to Docs and have her and her Minutemen, you know, help continue to protect the TVA regardless of if they trust each other or not right now. Since she knows that all that Docs really cares about is protecting the TVA. Sylvie, after her tirade, actually ends up storming off to the pie room by accident. Sylvie continues to ask how Loki can, you know, blindly trust everything that's going on. Loki points out, you know, that they're only here at this point because Sylvie made the choice to spare Timely, which she says she couldn't kill him because of how scared he seemed to be. Loki seems to pick up on how Sylvie is feeling about not going through with killing Timely, and tells a story of what he thought of Thor after he returned from Earth. His story is really to explain that compassion for others isn't a weakness, which Sylvie kind of scoffs at. Quickly, I do like how the series continues to use these conversations to kind of explore like the sins of Loki's past um, and showing like he's actually like grown from his mistakes in a way. I mean, maybe a little too late, but <laughs> there's definitely growth. Well, I feel like some of the comments we had for the first season was like, we didn't feel that growth yet. And it, I feel like the second season has done a better job of him reflecting. Yes, yes. You know, it's all in retrospect, but it, it's mm -hmm. at least, you know, happening. <laughs> And we're at least like seeing it play out on the screen now. Sylvie claims Loki is putting too much faith in the TVA, but Loki retorts with how it's easier to destroy than it is to have hope in something. Sylvie still says he's asking too much of her, and she fears that timely seeing all of this will be the catalyst into turning him into another he who remains. But, but Loki believes if they watch over him, perhaps they can prevent that from ever happening, which again goes against Sylvie's whole mission here of free will with her saying that all options Loki is putting before her is for them to play God, which Loki reminds her they are gods. I do feel like this is another example of, uh, you know, some growth for Loki because in the past, you know, this line would have been followed with a cackle or now, you know, he sounds almost reluctant. Mm -hmm. um, he's realizing, you know, that he needs to take responsibility, you know, for his actions and maybe even make sacrifices, you know, something, you know, previously he would definitely not be willing to do. Um, I could even see like, you know, at the end of the series, you know, Loki, you know, kind of taking the place of he who remains and, over, you know, overseeing everything when it comes to like the TVA and the timeline. Um, I feel like that might be where we're headed. Um, but who knows? I could be wrong. Brad continues to badger Docs into having some way of escape as she contemplates B-15's offer. But suddenly, Renslayer comes through a time door with Miss Minutes. Renslayer asks Docs and her crew to join her in taking back the TVA, claiming it's fallen apart without her there. But Docs isn't convinced. Renslayer promises that anyone who joins her will have a life on the timeline if they choose which speaks to Brad extremely. But Docs still doesn't move, nor does any of her men. 
Miss Minutes powers up the prison box machine, which seems to only speak more volumes to Docs in this moment. As in one final act of defiance towards Renslayer, she asks, how does it feel knowing that they're all willing to die rather than follow her? As the box begins to crush at least 15 people off camera with Brad watching on in pure horror. This scene was absolutely terrifying. Um, especially like Miss Minutes getting off. Yes, um, I didn't even mention that. What? <laughs> <laughs> watching them you know getting crushed to death um it felt so needless though like i don't know like just pretend to go along with her and then like try to fucking you know jump her at some point like there's how many of you and one of her it's not like she's like powered up or anything like that i mean yeah you gotta deal with miss minutes but it just felt like this grandiose display of defiance that at the end of the day, really meant nothing. Whereas if you showed a little cunning, you could have done some good and like, you know, help the TVA instead of like going out without a fight. And honestly, after the radical actions of Docs, you know, just a few episodes ago, I'm not, you know, 100% convinced that, you know, B-15's words would have been enough to sway her from, you know, joining forces with someone like Renslayer at this point. If both their ideas are to, you know, fix the TVA and get it to its former glory, I could see her wanting to be a part of that. I also wasn't convinced that um, none of her men uh, would join over to that, like zero of them other than Brad. Yeah, I mean, I agree. It, it felt a little out of character from what we've, you know, seen from her. Um, you know, it, it did feel like Renslayer would be more of a ally to her instead of someone that she would rather die than follow. Timely, OB and Casey find major success in installing the three-put multiplier as Mobius comes in to check on their progress while carrying a hot chocolate. Timely asks how you know he got one of those and is immediately amazed that there is a machine that handles making hot chocolate and asks you know if he can actually go see it. While in the background, OB loses his ability to use his tempad. Mobius, you know, lets Timely go with a guard to the hot cocoa machine while OB tries to figure out why they all can't use their temp pads anymore. At the hot cocoa machine, Timely is excited by, you know, how it all works. And after giving his guard a cup, the guard gets pruned from behind by Brad. Meanwhile, B-15 opens the holding cell to find everyone inside has been squashed. And at the same time, OB figures out that Miss Minutes must have shut them all out of the system, stopping them from being able to use their temp pads. So yeah, I mean, this is one of the moments I alluded to earlier on where it just kind of like stood out to me is strange um i mean everything with a hot chocolate machine it just felt like victor was trying to you know set them up in that moment especially with like the time pads you know like not operating and everything like that like he's in the heat of the moment and he knows what's at stake yet he becomes super fascinated with his hot chocolate machine and just has to go see it um, it just felt like he was, you know, either part of, you know, Miss Minutes' plan, um, you know, in Renslayer's, or, you know, he was working his own angle. And I'm, I'm still, obviously, with what happened, you know, he wasn't working with, you know, Renslayer and Miss Minutes, but I'm still not convinced 100% that, you know, he's not working his own angle here. And we're not going to find out that, you know, he had an alternative motive, um, you know, for setting up, you know, that moment in, you know, things pretty much in motion. 
with where they're headed. Mobius immediately goes looking for Timely at the hot cocoa machine, only to find a prune stick and a cup on the floor. B-15, Loki, and Sylvie then run into Mobius as he explains they took Timely, and B-15 thinks that it must have been Renslayer. They quickly try to figure out if she's somewhere else on the timeline, but Loki is convinced that she must be still here in the TVA, since that's all she really wants. We cover over to Timely, who's now in the judges chambers, and finds himself once more face to face with Renslayer and Miss Minutes, who are not as easily charmed this time by his antics. Renslayer forces him to tell them you know, where is the throughput multiplier, which he then immediately starts giving up. Meanwhile, Loki and Sylvie are scouring the TVA looking for Renslayer, and as Sylvie gets in an elevator, Miss Minutes, who's using surveillance to slow everyone down, splits them up by closing the elevator doors before he can actually get in forcing Loki to have to take the stairs. This is when we cut to episode one Loki running through the TVA as the loom continues to get worse and worse. Sylvie's able to hotwire her elevator and take it on up to the next floor. And that's when she comes face to face with episode one Loki, who then we see get pruned by the current Loki. Yeah, I assume this episode seeing Sylvie in the TVA that we would go full circle here and finally get the moment where we, you know, find out exactly who pruned Loki in that first episode um and it ended up being loki uh <laughs> i was getting like uh 2001 space odyssey vibes from miss minutes here just how powerful she is and how she's able to just mm. control all of the tva and at this point it just felt like they were going to be completely helpless against her until we found out there was just a simple solution as we saw in episode one the phone next to the elevator is ringing non-stop and it turns out to be ob on the line trying to reach out to them OB asks, you know, what's taking them so long to try and find Renslayer, but they explain Miss Minutes is trying to slow them down. OB suggests, you know, he could possibly restart the system, which will force Miss Minutes to reboot, but this will bring down, you know, the safety systems, which will also stop the dampeners from stopping any magic users from using their powers. Loki and Sylvie hearing this immediately scream into the phone for him to reboot the system, knowing that it will give them access to their abilities. Yeah, I love their reaction you know, to them hearing that they'll actually be able to use their fucking powers. I mean, it definitely allowed them to even the playing field. I, have to say I was a little disappointed that it was just OB on the phone. Um, I thought there'd be a little bit more to this entire sequence. I, I like I guessed early on that it was going to be Loki pruning himself, but it's just like I thought there would be a little bit more to this scene in general. No, I agree. I thought that was going to be a bigger deal too. like who was on the other end of the phone. Mm -hmm. um, it felt like that's how they set it up, right? Because we couldn't hear the voice. Um, so that definitely felt like it was with purpose. Um, but the fact that it was just OB just felt like, okay, it really did feel a little disappointing. Also, I was really surprised that OB even had the capability of rebooting Miss Minutes. I mean, once again, really showing you how much like he who remains really entrusted OB with. Yeah, and it also seems like something they could have done sooner if Miss Minutes wasn't responding to them. Yeah, but... especially once they figure out that she's on the playing field, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that should be, like, the first thing you do. Brand Renslayer then hear strange sounds coming out from the hallway after watching Miss Minutes be deactivated. Renslayer sends Brad out while, you know, she watches over Timely. Loki, standing in the darkness, goads Brad into coming forward, which gives Sylvie an opening to actually sneak up behind him and enslave his mind with her powers. We then quickly cut to Brad coming in and pulling Renslayer away from Timely in a moment of confusion as Loki and Sylvie rush in and get him out of there, all while Brad, acting as Sylvie, prunes Renslayer. So this was the first in line of a series of holy shit moments <laughs> in, in this episode? 
because I definitely didn't see Renslayer getting pruned here. So no. this means Renslayer was sent to the void, the um, little pocket dimension at the end of time, right? That's right. I so, completely forgot that that's what happens when you get pruned. So that so she's just completely off the board then. Um, unless there's some way to you know get her back, unless Miss Minutes has some way of getting to her. But I mean, she's off the board at the moment too. So until she comes back. So yeah, I mean, I was definitely taken aback because it just felt like this would have been a bigger moment. Um, but seeing how the episode ends, it it kind of made sense to me. Now getting Victor back to the loom, he puts his head into a scanner to get his temporal energy and unlock the blast doors, which works. Upon doing this, they see that the loom is in way worse condition than they actually imagined before, and Loki volunteers to go out there and put the throughput multiplier on the loom, but Victor timely decides he should go instead, as in case anything were to go wrong, he would be able to fix it. So in this heroic moment, Timely gears up and takes charge, but is immediately ripped apart by this temporal radiation as everyone looks on in horror. Loki looks out the window once more as the loom finally explodes and light engulfs the screen as our episode comes to an end. So yeah, once again, another holy shit moment. I didn't expect Victor to go all Marvel spaghetti. Um, <laughs> pretty fucked up because uh, I thought this was going to be his big heroic moment, like you said. Um, and then it seemed like the TVA just exploded as Loki looked on in horror. Um, yeah, I mean... <laughs> pretty fucked up uh now what does all this mean where are we headed especially since we know there's two episodes left so i, I doubt anyone's actually dead here um but with that being said i have no fucking clue like i mean like i said previously like i i feel like we've seen everything at this point that you know we've been shown in the trailers so we're truly like flying blind um, which is similar to what they did in season one. I feel like it was the same case with, you know, that season's like last two episodes. So, which I, I appreciate, honestly. So at the end of this episode, like my first thought was, you know, the next episode's going to probably start off with everything flashing white. And just before, you know, everyone dies, Loki time slips, rewinds to a previous point, you know, in that episode. And we're going to watch like Loki try to figure out how to undo what just happened, you know, with, you know, the loom exploding. That just feels like kind of like the safe option. I know like technically Loki's not supposed to be able to time slip anymore since he pruned himself before, but I don't know. I mean, they're, they could always come up with a bullshit reason why it happened and everything. But I do feel like that's like the least appealing outcome. Because what I would rather have happen is like, you know, since we know that the time loom has exploded and now, you know, the multiverse is able to branch out freely without the TVA supervision. I wouldn't mind seeing like all the characters in the room at the time being kind of like teleported off into different like multiverses um you know and then finding themselves like separated trying to fix things or maybe even being like teleported back to like their original timelines where they came from um, that was that was exactly what i was going to predict i was like i feel like they'll all get sent back to either their own you know timelines or a version of their timelines whether it be a skew or something yeah yeah especially since they're all variants right yes mm -hmm. um you know i because like once I've been saying this since season one, like I want to see the multiverse of it all. And, you know, right now, like we're, we've got a multiverse show that doesn't really show you the multiverse, which is kind of strange. 
Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, the show's highly entertaining. And I've been enjoying it, but I would still like a little more multiverse in my multiverse show, if you will. Um, Damon, someone worked hard on that pie room, all right? Uh-huh. And they, <laughs> I, I still back. love the pie room. Don't get me wrong. Uh-huh. Sure. <laughs> uh, but yeah, and I think, you know, kind of like in Sylvie's speech, like, you know, right now, all these timelines and everything like that, they don't carry much weight, you know, for us because we aren't seeing the multiverse, mm-hmm. like the bigger picture of it all. Um, where like these moments could even be bigger if we're actually out there in the multiverse, you know, witnessing all these alternate realities instead of watching these like Atari graphics, um, you know, on some little screen. I mean, storytelling wise, I, I feel like it gives them a lot of meat on the bone. And it does seem like, you know, this isn't going to be the final season of the series. Um, you know, and we do know that like Loki and uh, Mobius are going to end up being in Deadpool 3. So who knows? I mean, maybe at the end of this you know, season, we do see, you know, Mobius and Loki end up in that universe, you know, which is basically the Foxverse. But regardless of what happens, I still feel like this was all part of either he who remains or some variant of Kane's like master plan um and that victor timely might have just been either a pawn in you know having this all happen or a willing participant i mean that hot chocolate machine scene still stands out to me as strange um it was odd it was odd yeah and it feels like there was some purpose behind that like that we're gonna find out in the next two episodes because honestly like who's to say that you know, he who remains didn't send some kind of like secret message to Victor Timely in the TVA, you know, handbook that like maybe Miss Minutes didn't even know about. Um, you know, setting all this up, you know, knowing that this is the way to make sure that, you know, he regains control of the TVA in the future. Um, you know, or to even make sure that, you know, the TVA like comes to pass. I just feel like there's still more than meets the eye when it comes to like Timely. And everything and everything that we saw happen in this episode with the character. I wonder if they're trying to establish that all versions of Kang start off as Victor Timely in some form or fashion. If that's the route that they want to go on in, in the MCU. Now, of course, in the comics, it's completely different. Um, well, that's I kind of I kind of assume that, right? I guess at least the version that we know in the sacred timeline mm-hmm. started off as Victor Time Timely because that's what we saw at least in that graphic that flashes on the screen when we first meet up with him. Because it says, you know, the date, and then it says, you know, sacred timeline. Yeah, yeah. But I'm wondering, like, if they go to all of their own universes, if they start hunting down, you know, Victor Timely and see if there's a version of him there uh, to try and figure out what's going on. So you think maybe when they go to their alternate timelines that they'll be able to find Victor Timely? Yes. I mean, yeah, that's a possibility. I mean, if they still have the capability of traveling back in time, because you would think mm-hmm. that they would still have to have their time pets to do so, right? Unless they start reading those TVA guidelines and learn how to make their own. <laughs> <laughs> other than that, the only other theory I can come up with is that the white flashes and they're all still there in the TVA. That would probably be the easiest, <laughs> easiest route for them where they're just there and they continue their story from there. I, 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 I don't I don't know if there's anything that's going to be wrong, but I, I don't know I what conflict would like be some, there, but there was <laughs> some kind of consequence for the loom exploding. I, I, I got to say, like, 
I have to keep I feel like I have to keep tempering my like expectations with the show like I, I, I keep feeling like there's going to be something bigger that's going to happen and we're not really getting that uh you know other than you know obviously the timeline just blew up but beyond that I, I haven't been like super like surprised by anything and I guess really my fear is since we've been talking throughout this you know, whole thing is that a lot of the things that we think will become you know bigger moments might just not especially after you know stuff like what happened with the phone and several other moments from this episode alone well I mean in the first season the fact that they introduced us to you know Kang for all intents and purposes, oh, I mean, was, yeah, that was right, but not for this season. Yeah, I mean, so far, right? We mm -hmm. there hasn't been a big like holy shit moment, except for you know Victor Timely, you know, showing up and him being featured so much, you know, in the show. I don't, I didn't foresee that. I thought like maybe no, we yeah. get a cameo or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I mean, we've got two episodes to go, so we'll see. Because honestly, if you think about it, like season one did save the best for last. Like those last two episodes is where we got like the void and all the, you know, all the variants of Loki. And then, you know, eventually, you know, he who remains. So um, it, it does feel like they're following the same kind of formula here, at least hopefully. But I will say like that line that Loki says about, you know, him and Sylvie being gods um, really you know, stuck out to me. And I, I do feel like once the multiverse saga does come to an end, I could see like Sylvie and Loki kind of in a similar role as he who remains, except they won't be monsters pruning, you know, different, you know, multiverses. Either that or Loki's going to end up like making a huge sacrifice, you know, to save, you know, everyone at the end of the day. I feel like it'd be Sylvie at the end, just because they'd probably want to use Loki for more you know, avenge yourself in the future. It's comics. He can come back, Christian. <laughs> <laughs> well, you might be right. But anyway, join us next week as we break down episode five of season two of Loki. All right, before we move on, I'm happy to announce we have a brand new partner this month, AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Let me tell you, once I turned 40, I started to fall apart. So I was literally trying everything to help me hold it together. But I was getting tired of taking so many supplements and I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. I wanted better gut health, a boost in energy and immune system support. But I hated taking vitamins every single day and I wanted a supplement that actually tasted great. And that's when I discovered AG1. I've started drinking AG1 every morning before starting my day and it genuinely feels like I'm doing something good for my body, especially as a gamer trying to be more active. It feels like I'm finally giving my body the nutrition it craves. Plus, I found it difficult trying to keep up with other routines due to them having several different products involved. But AG1 replaces your multivitamin, probiotic, and more in one simple drinkable habit. Since I've been drinking AG1, I've noticed an overall feeling of health. I'm no longer too exhausted after work to play with my daughter or help her with her homework. AG1's helped boost my energy, help my focus and mental clarity, and even help improve my digestion. And that's all due to its science-driven formulation of vitamins, probiotics, and whole food source nutrients. AG1 helps you build your health foundation first. Why take a bunch of different things when you can just mix one scoop of powder in water once a day? AG1 was designed with ease in mind so you can live healthier and better without having to complicate your routine. 
And what I love about AG1 is that it's delivered to me every month, so it's been super easy to make it a daily habit. I also get the single serving AG1 travel packs, so I never have to miss a day. I just mix the powder into ice cold water and drink it first thing every morning, and that's it. With AG1, taking good care of your body every day is really that simple. If you want to take ownership of your health, try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is head over to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. Once again, to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase, all you have to do is go to drinkag1.com slash nerdshow. That's drinkag1.com slash nerdshow and check it out. And now for the nerds review of Five Nights at Freddy's. Mild spoilers ahead. And now, our feature presentation. This place can get to you. It's been a weird night. Sounds like Freddy's. I have a job for you. It's a security gig. You want the job or not? I will take anything. All you have to do is keep your eyes on the monitor. Five Nights at Freddy's is based off the hit indie horror game of the same name and is about a troubled security guard who begins working at Freddy Fassbender's Pizza. During his first night on the job, he realizes that the night shift won't be so easy to get through. Pretty soon, he will unveil what actually happened at Freddy's. It's directed by Emma Tammy and stars Josh Hutcherson, Piper Rubio, and Elizabeth Lale. Uh, the first game was released back in 2014 and started as a fairly simple horror experience with a guy just trying to survive five nights at his new job. You know, with animatronics similar to Chuck E. Cheese coming to life and trying to break into your security room. The game has hit a wave of popularity I don't think I could ever imagine amongst kids and adults alike. Honestly, I don't think I ever expected the franchise to become big enough to you know, warrant a future-length film. But with rabid success and tons of spin-offs, you know, and even fan-made games, plus fan art, of course, still pumping out to this day, it's no wonder why this got picked up. However, the film adaptation actually left a lot to be desired, as while I was intrigued in the first act, the rest of the film is just bogged down with wooden performances, a boring, predictable plot, which left me just dying for more scares and probably less poorly written, you know, exposition. Um, at the root of the issues, that arise with the film i think it's mainly just you know script problems but on top of that is this kind of bland protagonist and josh hutcherson who is trying to discover the mystery of what happened to his kidnapped brother back in the day i unfortunately have yet to ever you know be impressed by josh in any you know performance he's been in you know from hunger games to future man and now this i mean I guess Zathura wasn't bad, but he was just a kid then anyway. Um, he plays Mike and he's struggling to take care of his little sister Abby as his past of losing his brother in the woods haunts him to this day. You know, causing him to actually lose his other security job at a mall after he saw someone looking like they were stealing a child. He just consistently relives this trauma. Across from him is Elizabeth Lale's character, Officer Vanessa, who is probably the most blatantly obvious exposition character, um, who I assume was supposed to come off mysterious, but I mean the script just did her no favors. 
um, from the second you meet her, you know something is up with this character. And she is somehow, you know, linked to everything going on here at Freddy's. Like, I'm not trying to spoil anything for you guys, uh, but she immediately knows, you know, everything about this place and does nothing to hide it. Um, she lies and says, oh, I came here as a child, but it's painfully obvious that there's more going on. And from there, you can really start to predict the whole rest of the film, um, unfortunately. Uh, she also very annoyingly starts to just say things, but never elaborates or finishes what she's saying. And I get that they were going for like, you know, a mysterious vibe character here with her, but it just didn't work. It was more frustrating than anything for her to just say these out of pocket things and our main character not question it, not care, just keep moving forward without a concern in the world. Most of those issues though, more or less just consume the second and third acts of the film. But I did feel like the first act, you know, started in a solid place. Um, you can tell that there was a lot of attention to detail in capturing the game world here from Freddy's as a you know ripoff of Chuck E. Cheese to the animatronics being as creepy as they are in the game it all just felt right in that aspect um, we do get a subplot in this film about Mike's aunt who wants to take custody of Abby for all the wrong reasons and is trying to get Mike fired from his new job so she hires some goons to go mess up, you know, the place he's not working at, which of course gives us a fun sequence of, you know, victims for our animatronics to show how deadly they can be. And it's, you know, a great start, but I wish the film could have expanded on, you know, more kills like this, or even just the stalking mechanic of these, you know, creatures, as they should be more of the, you know, star attraction of this film. And if we had more time with them haunting and trying to get to Mike, like in the early early games, it probably would have been a more interesting film to watch than, you know, having to watch him go through these nightmare sequences um, every time he falls asleep at his job, which are all just kind of filled with, you know, lore exposition dumps instead of actually doing anything to really scare the audience. You know, it's somewhat of a soft PG-13 horror experience. Um, they do a decent job of hiding the gore in these machine kills um, while showing you just enough to know what's happening to, you know, to their victims. Um, I imagine they knew with this game's popularity amongst a younger audience that they probably couldn't go balls to the wall, though I really would have loved to see, you know, what these things are capable of. Um, once when they get gruesome <laughs> but i do understand the choices they made um here but you know vanessa's storyline um really just takes so much away from the horrific nature of these animatronics and the film just slows all the way down to a halt um while we're getting through all of that instead of ramping up from the earlier scenes um to a point where i just started waiting for it to end um, every revelation was something I could predict from the moment we met each new character, which just only added to me losing, you know, my total interest in, you know, Mike's mystery and the journey by the film's end. Um, it's one of those times where I was left wanting so much more, but in the worst of ways, as I felt like there could have been so much more, um, to the, like the haunting family story here going on for Mike and his missing brother along with the fact that he's trying to protect, you know, his little sister, Abby, in this film. They just lose their mystique by the film's end, unfortunately, due to everything else that's going on. Um, I mean, they did get at least a good look for this film down. Uh, the CG elements, you know, were fine. It was just a boring time all together. And for those reasons and more, I'm going to be giving the film a D. Um, not the worst film I've ever seen, but I'll probably forget all about this in a week. And now it's time for Christian's Corner. 
This week in gaming, PlayStation's console update has been under fire recently as people noticed its new disk drive add-on um, for the slimmed down version of the console will require an online connection when installing it. Uh, this has been done to add, you know, some anti-piracy firmware to the console, you know, which Sony claims, but many fans of the console were displeased by this as their whole point for having a disk drive is to, you know, play physical copies of games without an internet connection. So why force the device that allows for that to also have to have an internet connection? Um, in my opinion, I see the concerns on both sides. Um, I could easily see hackers and console modders uh, using this disc port for less than savory things. Um, hell, even it, with this mandatory online connection, I can still see people coming up with a workaround for it. So it is what it is there. Uh, but at the same time, I could see how frustrating this would be for the average consumer in less connected areas um, in the country. It's the same argument we make for games that sell physical discs but force you to play online to even play their game um it's a trend that just doesn't seem to die i know i most likely won't be you know updating to the new version of the console so i'm not worried about this but let us know your thoughts at amazing nerd live or when i'm live on twitch other than that sony has had a massive success with spider-man 2 with sony claiming the game hit 2.5 million copies in under 24 hours making it the fastest game Sony has ever sold. Spider-Man continues to be the bread and butter, and I can understand why. I'm so far enjoying the experience. Um, Insomniac is, you know, of course, knocking it right out the park per usual. I know a lot of people have uh, complained that the story is short. Um, I haven't finished it yet, so I can't say that for myself, but I'm enjoying the overall pace so far, and I'm intrigued to see where all this goes um, based on where I am right now in the story. I don't want to spoil anything for you guys right now. Uh, but uh, make sure to stop by our streams to catch my reactions to the game. But overall, I will say it's playing just like the first one, and I really love the first one, so I can't complain here. Um, in other gaming news, Batman Arkham Knight accidentally unveiled a new suit and then decided to just release it, which turned out to be Robert Pattinson's bat suit from the Batman, of course, and will be a new skin for the game. Uh, honestly, playing Spider-Man um, and seeing a lot of those, you know, Arkham style mechanics in that game has made me want to go back and do a run through of the entire trilogy for the Arkham games. So maybe I might do that in the upcoming year, but it's still wild that Rocksteady um, randomly added this suit to a now eight year old game. Uh, I did see people making some comments saying that Rocksteady is only, you know, trying to do this to appease fans after what seems like some rough work that they're doing with the uh, Suicide Squad game uh, that has just been lowering people's expectations with each gameplay video, at least my expectations. Um, I'm not looking too forward to that game as I was originally. Lastly, there was a little bit of horror news in gaming as the film Barbarian is getting a game. Uh, that's right, the <laughs> horror hit Barbarian, uh, that is a very wild story, uh, will be getting a game from the people that worked on the Evil Dead game and the Friday the 13th game, which I'm still mad that that game is going to be removed from sale pretty soon at the end of this year. So make sure you pick up Friday the 13th right now. Um, you'll get everything unlocked immediately. So definitely check that out. It's a super enjoyable game. I actually like it a little bit more than uh, Dead by Daylight. Anyway, um, they're on to make this um, Barbarian game. So you can imagine it'll probably be another multiplayer experience unless, you know, the team wants to do something drastically and switch things up. But it seems to make sense that it's going to be probably the old lady attacking some you know people in a farm or or some shit like that it'll it'll be probably something in a similar vein as we saw with evil dead and you know friday the 
maintain. But all right, um, for me, I still need to finish Starfield. I'm pretty much one or two streams away from actually doing so, but I couldn't resist starting Spider-Man. So we're streaming both at this time while also playing Seven Days to Die with our good friend Victor. So make sure to stop by Twitch and check out our live streams for more gaming content. But with that said, let's go ahead and move on to some wrestling. This Saturday night, Mohegan Sun, Connecticut, for the AEW World Championship. May the best man win. Wow. And Kenny, he will, because my name is Maxwell Jacob Friedman, and I'm better than you. And I suppose on that note, Max, we must bid these people adieu. Goodbye, mwah, and good night, bang. And uh, oh, Max, three days, bitch. All right, so it's time once again for our AW Week in Review. And goddamn, what an absolute chaotic week of TV, Christian. Um... I, did you catch Collision? Uh, I had to skip it just because it was a busy-ass weekend. So uh, Collision was all pretty much centered around the return of the House of Black. Um, okay, okay. You know, we had a strong match to start off the show with uh, Brian Danielson versus Andrade, uh, which Tony Khan absolutely overhyped uh, as a dream match, uh, which, I mean, it's a match I really want to see. Um, it did happen on WWE TV previously, um, you know, when they were both there. But we know that in AAW, the leash isn't as tight or, you know, completely off, if you will. So we could really expect, you know, more out of, you know, both athletes in ring wise. Um, and they, they didn't disappoint. It was a great match. Uh, but at the end of the match, we had, you know, a mutual sign of respect from both competitors. Uh, with, you know, both of them raising each other's hands and everything like that. But then the lights went out, and when the lights came on, uh, lo and behold, Malachi Black was standing there, uh, and he proceeded to kick Brian's head off. Uh, that received holy shit chance from the crowd, rightfully so. Um, we haven't seen Malachi in a long time. Uh, I think ever since, you know, they dropped the trio's titles, uh, you know, what, like two or three months ago? So, um, you know, this was a huge return and it feels like they're going to be leading Mark. And it feels like they're definitely headed in the direction of, you know, Brian versus, you know, Malachi, uh, which is a pretty big deal. Uh, you know, the BCC came out and chased Black away. Um, well, not really chased away. He just disappeared. You know, the lights went out again, of course. Um, but yeah, um, I'm just happy that it looks like that we're going to be getting a singles run from Malachi. Um, because I mean, really, if you think about it, like when was the last time he even had a singles feud? Like he's been wrapped up in like, you know, gang warfare for God over a year, you know, most of his run in AEW, at least. I feel like when collision started, he was having some small feud with Andrade, but it it didn't last. But it was like buddy wrestled him. Mm. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So not really. Um, and I thought it was because of his injury that they were trying to kind of protect him in like tags and trios matches. 
But, you know, he came out in an interview saying that that wasn't the case, that he's 100% healthy now. So, or as healthy as he could be. So it's, it's just strange um, the way that they booked him, if that if that is true. So, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I definitely want to see more out of him, you know, as a singles wrestler, because I feel like he's a huge star in the waiting for AEW. But with that being said, that was definitely not the end of all the House of Black, like, hijinks throughout the night. Um, basically, I mean, it was a, you know, plot thread that lasted through the entire show. Uh, because we saw them jump FTR later on, which I was surprised to see FTR back in the ring so soon after working an injury angle. So that's a bit odd, um, since that was like the storyline reason for them, like, you know, dropping the belts, basically, uh, to Ricky and Big Bill. But uh, yeah, they they jumped FTR. And then later on, they interfered in the main event, which saw Claudio and Willer Yuta get a tag team title shot against, you know, Ricky and Big Bill. Um the match was okay. It went a little too long, honestly. Um, but, you know, at the end of the night, we saw House of Black come out and interfere. Um, you know, Ricky and Big Bill seemed to be helping them. But then the House of Black kind of betrayed them <laughs> by leaving, like, Ricky to the Wolves, uh, which was the BCC. Uh, we also saw the return of John Moxley, who, you know, has been off TV for the last couple of weeks, nursing a concussion. Um so it looks like he'll be returning to action sooner than later. Uh, but overall, like, you know, it was a bit chaotic and kind of a mess. Uh, but it was still a pretty fun episode of Collision. Um, you know, it, it was different, which I enjoyed. Also, we did have a devil sighting. While the Bullet Club Gold was in the ring, all of a sudden we got a shot of a man in a devil mask. Uh, so it looks like they're you know, going back to that storyline, because it did feel like they kind of dropped it the last, like, two or three weeks. Um, you know, but this week, they definitely, like, doubled down on it. So, um, you know, that brings us to Dynamite. Uh, we, you know, started off the show with a backstage promo by MJF, which I don't know how I feel about that. Like, it's weird. I know on Collision, we get the, like, Saturday Night Main Event, like, opening you know, with like little mm -hmm. promos for, you know, all the featured matches, although they've kind of dropped that over the last couple of weeks. Um, but like, I feel like we've been getting this lately with Dynamite, where we're starting off with like backstage like interviews. And I don't yeah, since Edge has come back, really, it's, it's a little weird and off putting. Like, I feel like it just uh, doesn't flow right to me. Um, but yeah, MJF, like, you know, cut this promo, um, but it was interrupted with another shot of the person in the devil's mask probably trying to make you think that it's not mjf uh which it might not be but um i think at this point it could be anyone honestly um also during this little like promo we did have a uh, team uh next strong come out and offer their services to mjf which mjf of course laughed at and sent them packing so uh but then you know we but then directly after this, we moved on to our opening match, which was MJF versus Juice Robinson uh, for the AEW, what the hell they call the ring? The Dynamite Diamond the Dynamite ring. Diamond Ring. How could I forget? I mean, they only said a hundred <laughs> times this episode. Um, I thought it was a damn good match. I liked that, like, MJF right off the bat was, you know, treating this like it was a blood feud. Um, you know, he came out swinging. I thought they had a good back and forth, uh, but at the same time, like, you know, MJF didn't make sure to, like, 
give some shine to Juice and, you know, you know, let him get his spots in. Um, you know, he didn't treat him like he was, you know, some mid Carter, you know, he mm-hmm. made him like a worthy opponent in the match. Um, even though it was, you know, virtually one sided for the first half. Um, I think my only critique is like MJF using the kangaroo kick in the middle of this match. Like if he's rage fueled, like I, <laughs> I can't imagine like someone stopping and start hopping around, you uh. know, like, <laughs> and the spots like over the crowd were white hot for it and white hot for this match. Um, but like, it just felt a little off to me. Um, it did also feel like at one point MJF was trying to get color and couldn't. Did you catch that? Um, when which part was it? Was the very beginning? Like Juice just got color. He got busted open, bloody as hell. And then like MJF got thrown into like the ring steps, I believe, or maybe Uh, it was the and like he went down and like the camera like moved away from him, and he was like holding his head for a little bit, and then like he kept on like checking his forehead, but like there was no color obviously <laughs> and he just seemed to move on so um maybe i was misreading the situation but it did feel like he was trying to get a little you know blood and just You're probably put it, right put it. i just was more focused on uh like mjf trying to bash the teeth out of you know yes juice. we almost got a real curb stop <laughs> which was terrifying um but yeah no i i thought it was a great match overall um and you know at the end we saw juice go to put on his tj max ring and you know mjf you know in return putting on the dynamite diamond ring um you know and obviously you know getting the better of juice also i just love the pure like euphoria that went over mjf's face when he was putting on the ring (laughs) Uh (laughs) it was just ridiculous you know but once mjf finally vanquished juice uh bullet club gold you know jumped him from behind uh and then, you know, all of a sudden we have the kingdom and, you know, Roderick Strong come out and try to make the save. Uh, but they were soon turned away. And then in turn, we had uh, the Acclaim run out and also try to make the save. They're obviously more successful. Uh, they were able to chase, you know, Bullet Club away. Now, before Bullet Club left uh, at the top of the ramp, we had the guns issue a challenge to MJF for the Ring of Honor, uh, you know, tag team titles. Uh, and then we also had Jay White. I guess he's issuing the challenge uh, for the eight-man tag. If, uh, you know, MJF can actually find partners. And then if MJF's team actually wins, he'll give back the Triple B. Um, Maybe. Uh, <laughs> that felt a little weird to me. Like, why uh. would he be making that challenge? But it is what it is. So right after this, Roddy uh, grabbed the mic and said, "You're gonna, you're gonna choose us, right?" Uh, and MJF scoffed, uh, and then the acclaimed basically did the same thing uh, with Max Caster, you know, offering the acclaimed's help. Uh, MJF, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, basically said, "If I was on fire and the only way to put me out was to tag with you, you know, he would just burn to death." So, yes. um, <laughs> and then Caster, not understanding the sentiment said so you're saying there's a chance um <laughs> it's like no that's not what he's saying it's um, growing on me week after week is it's, it I, i'm enjoying it <laughs> i mean obviously they're going to lead to mjf and the claim teaming up uh-huh. um but i don't know i don't know. we'll see we'll see because you said it was next week that the match is uh, supposed to take place yeah next week is the eight man so huh. yeah i, I guess we'll, gotta figure that we'll out we'll find out sooner than later right <laughs> 
Um, Unless they're gonna make it the main event, and it's like the whole episode is just him trying to find partners. Maybe, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, I guess that could happen on Collision since we know also that MJF is going to be mm-hmm. on Collision because right after this, as MJF is walking up the ramp, Kenny Omega's music hits. Uh, Kenny comes out, confronts MJF, and challenges him to a world title match uh, before MJF breaks his record streak of being the longest reigning AEW world champion, uh, which I guess is only like days away from happening. Um, MJF accepts and then sets up a world title match for Collision this week, to which Kenny Omega whispers in his ear, three days, bitch. Um, Now, this started, I want to say, about a month ago on uh, BTE with uh, MJF, like, you know, interacting with the Bucks and Kenny and, you know, being really nice and then, like, whispering a number in Kenny's ear. Um, We kind of just speculated that that, you know, that it must be, you know, the record, you know, the countdown to, you know, MJF breaking Kenny's record. And, you know, we saw it actually play out on the screen uh, last week on Dynamite. Mm -hmm. So um, I just didn't expect them to actually do a world title match, um, especially before, you know, Jay White got his title match. But apparently that's happening. Um, I won't lie. It feels like it's being hot shotted. Um, I'm wondering if, you know, AEW is not leaving a lot of money on the table um, because this feels like the biggest match they could possibly do um, right now. I mean, if you think about it, like we haven't seen Kenny and MJF really on the screen at the same time. I don't know if ever any, you know, in the AW. So like this is this is pretty much a dream match. Mm-hmm. Um, so but it feels like a marquee like pay-per-view match. So the fact that they're doing on collision, you know, just seems odd to me. Um, with that being said, I'm assuming we're probably going to get like a schmaz finish. Um, I could see like maybe like Don Callis and crew or even uh, Next Strong, you know, like all in the name of like helping MGF and like maybe getting him disqualified. Um, like, you know, I'm sure they'll m- make sure to put on a good match before that happens. Mm-hmm. But I just don't foresee them doing any kind of clean finish because I feel like they're going to want to leave something for later on on a bigger stage. I'm I'm more seeing the Bullet Club attacking because it would help if they wanted to have uh, Kenny be a part of the eight man. That's an easy way to just add him to that list because you you're right. And then you could have the Bucks then, you know, join Kenny and you could have MJF and the elites first Bullet Club gold, uh, which is definitely a marquee match. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, you know, you have the whole like dynamic of, you know, the acclaim, you know, or Max Caster being heartbroken over that choice. Uh-huh. So <laughs> although I don't know where that leaves that storyline. Right. Because it's like what other, you know, eight man tag does MJF have down the line? <laughs> so uh, I don't know. We'll have to wait and see what direction they end up headed in. Um, Samoa Joe also later on the show offered his services uh, if he gets a title match in the future. And don't forget about Wardlow. Also, <laughs> oh, Wardlow cutting yes. a promo, also in a video package, basically setting his sights on MJF. Um, yeah, so there's, I mean, the it's pretty much the world versus MJF right now. Yes. Which I won't lie, even though this opening segment felt 
like it had way too many moving parts. It was way too busy. Um, I did find it refreshing in a way because I felt like it was something so different than what we get weekly from AEW. Mm. Um, you know, both, you know, with, you know, the House of Black on, you know, Collision, basically, you know, taking on the entire roster and then, you know, on Dynamite with the entire roster coming after MGF. Um, I don't know where all this is leading. And then you factor in, you know, the whole like, you know, devil mask deal. Like, who's wearing the mask? Um, is there a faction? That's also another option, honestly. Like, you could have, you know, the man in the mask show up with his faction and interfere in the name of MJF and then, you know, cost him the match. So, um, but I feel like that reveal, you know, who's behind the mask is going to happen somewhere down the line. Because I still feel like it's Adam Cole. You know, I just don't know it, if it they can stretch like it, right? it that long, though. <laughs> You know, I feel like maybe at first it was supposed to be Adam Cole. I just don't know if they're going to have to change things up, though, because mm. of the injury. I mean, another name I haven't seen floating around too much would be like Jungle Boy could come back in that position as the devil. Yeah. And, you know, after the four pillars match, mm-hmm. you know, it felt like that was kind of like the harbinger of Jungle Boy's like heel turn, really. You know, everything that like MJF was putting in his ear um so you have that connection there so that could make sense uh and the fact that you know i mean jungle boy supposedly is supposed to be suspended right now um and we haven't heard that he's not anymore but that doesn't mean you know anything like they don't need to really divulge that information to us mm-hmm. if they if they don't want to so i mean that would be a pretty big reveal um i'm worried that it'll go over like a fart in church though. You know, I think people are probably expecting a bigger name. Um, but I mean, it might end up getting a lot of heat for Jungle Boy at the end of the day. So we'll have to wait and see. But then who are the other guys? Because there was like five guys, right? I mean, one of them was definitely Roger Strong, but I don't know if they want to blend that group together or not with Jungle that Boy. That also might have just been a red herring. You know, that uh, they might have just, you know, I, I could foresee if that group returns, you know, on the screen, like them just dressing up other random guys in the back to kind of like, you know, yeah mislead the audience, if you will, you know, and get them off the, you know, their scent. Back to what you said with Joe. I mean, Joe did arrive backstage, offer his services. MJF almost felt like out of character. And like jumped up and shook his hand right away. I was like, absolutely. It's like, haven't you been watching all these vignettes that Joe's been doing? Basically like threatening you and like telling you he's coming after your world title. Mm -hmm. Like, why would he be so quick to shake his hand? Like, it it just, (laughs) you know, like last week we had MJF like scoff at the idea of running out there and attacking the Bullet Club gold because he's not a stupid baby face. But here he definitely felt like a stupid baby face. So, um, you know, obviously, and didn't he, like previously try to run out and attack. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't bring that up last week, but because I was pissed off about that because he felt like a stupid baby face at that moment, uh-huh. you know, which, you know, MJF should know better. Um, but obviously last week they tried to like kind of pivot away from that. Um, but yeah, no, th- this also was kind of a stupid baby face moment because, you know, obviously there's going to be strings attached and mm-hmm. Joe stated that right up front. Um, so, you know, maybe Joe's part of this team, you know, that he's putting together to face off against uh, Bullet Club. 
we'll have to wait and see. Um, but, you know, MJF right now could definitely use a friend. So um, I don't know. I don't know, like, if I'm really that excited to see a rematch between Joe and MJF. Um, you know, it depends on where they do it. Like, I don't need that to be a pay-per-view match. Like, maybe if it's, like, winners coming or something like that, that's fine. A TV match. But does it feel like right now it's, like, pay-per-view worthy? Mm-hmm. Um, and they had a great match. Don't get me wrong. It's just like we've seen it at this point, you know, and I don't foresee Joe winning. Um, so I don't know. Like I'm fine with the story being... continuing, but I just mm-hmm. don't need it to be a pay-per-view. Yeah, I could see it being a TV <sighs> match. Something similar to what we're now getting with Kenny at just randomly thrown on a, a card in the future, like saying he, he's earned his title shot and give it to me. Yeah, I mean, this definitely feels like this should have been the collision match, not like Kenny versus MGF, you know, a first time, like big time marquee match. Um, But speaking of pay-per-views, they also announced a brand new pay-per-view coming at the end of December. World's End? Am I getting that right, Christian? World's End. Yes, December 30th. Am I right Uh, again? Winner, winner, chicken. December 30th. Um, Yes, so... I mean, we've heard in the past that, you know, they're going to be doing more and more pay-per-views. This is, yet again, more proof of that happening. Um, This should be an interesting one because this is going to be right before MGF's contract, quote-unquote, expires. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see a scenario where MGF actually does lose the title and is, like, actually chasing after the belt here. And we see Mm. MGF win the belts a la cm punk you know you know very much like cm punk did um you know to start off his historic run you know the, the summer of punk you know when you know when he won the belt against cena uh money in the bank and his contract was up you know, where he took the title through the crowd and waved goodbye to mcmahon mm. you know <laughs> classic moments so i could see something similar happening with mjf um I think he signed a contract. I mean, I can't fathom Tony Khan featuring him so much and like giving him this, you know, huge title run without having like ink to paper. Um, but it, it could storyline wise be a really big moment. So um, we'll have to wait and see, though. Otherwise, on the card, apparently Jericho is probably reuniting. Um, we had <laughs> we had a sit down interview with Renee and Jericho. Uh, where Jericho talked about losing to Hobbs and how humiliating it was and, you know, whether he should, you know, just, you know, call it quits or get bigger, badder and stronger. And, you know, he mentioned knowing, you know, bigger, badder, you know, wrestlers than Hobbs. Um, so to me, I would rather I would rather he retire uh, <laughs> than be Jericho again. I'll tell you that right now. Anyway, to me, that either means Big Show or Mark Henry. Because I will point out, one, Powerhouse is using the World's Strongest Slam now. And they mention okay. it over and over again. So, I don't know. I, there were rumors that Mark Henry was looking to have, like, one final run. One, one go? Yeah, I'm fine with it. You know? But also, I believe last year at some point, Jericho got the copyrights to Jericho. So... I could see it going either way. Uh, 
thing about Mark Henry is I miss his old theme. I loved his WWE. I don't think theme. they're going to get his old theme. I back. know. I know. Although, they well, no, actually, no, actually, that was by an actual group. Really? So, yeah. Yeah. So they oh, that... could actually get his. I can't remember the name of the group, but so maybe they don't have the exclusive rights to it. I wouldn't. Be, yeah. Who knows? Maybe. Maybe he can get it. I don't know. Um, but I, I have a feeling it's probably going to be Jared's show, man. Anything but crybaby big show, okay? <laughs> Otherwise, on the show, we had Ruby versus uh, Sheeta in a clusterfuck of a match. They were unfortunately in the death spot, you know, right before the main event. So the crowd was just dead quiet. It felt like it kind of rattled them. So we had some wonkiness, if you will. Um, it just felt like there was a lot of miscommunication, like, at first. And then just the match itself was just overbooked. Like... I don't know what the hell they were trying to do, but just way too much Gaga. I mean, we had Ruby trying to like do the Eddie Guerrero spot with the spray paint and Sheeta, which made no sense because that would get Sheeta disqualified and Ruby can't win the title that way. Mm -hmm. But then she turned around and she tried to use the spray paint, but spray painted the title. And then there was the turnbuckle being exposed. It was just a mess. It was way too much. Um, I was really looking forward to this match because I feel like Ruby and Sheeta are two of the best like women's wrestlers AEW has. Um, so I was and disappointed to say the least. And their styles feel like they're made for each other. They've, you know, like and I believe they've had good matches in the past. Exactly. So I don't, I don't know. This this just unfortunately was just a misstep. Um, you know, afterwards we had Tony Storm come out, and it looks like she's going to be challenging uh, Sheeta for the world title at Full Gear. But then we found out that on Rampage there was going to be a four way match uh, between, I believe, Willow, Sky Abaddon, Blue, who I guess only gets dusted off during the Halloween season, and Anna J. Um, and spoilers, Abaddon won. So. Uh, that means she's actually getting a title shot on Collision this week. So Sheeta has to defend her belt back to back in the same week, which is a bit odd. Okay. Right? Uh, <laughs> but I guess they wanted to get the match in before Halloween because, once again, they only dust off Abaddon uh, during the Halloween season. <laughs> yeah, you remember the last time I saw her? Was it I last think it was October? last October. Yeah, oh, I think she God. had a match against Anna Jay. So uh. um, it is what it is. I mean, <coughs> and i believe before that we saw her during halloween against thunder rosa so this seems to be a thing um i didn't even know she was under contract still and maybe she's not maybe this is like a freelance deal or something like mm. that but i mean i don't know i always liked the gimmick um I could see her like being a good fit in house of black i don't think they're going that direction obviously no but um you know, like almost like as a like, you know, quote unquote, like Pat for Julia Hart. That'd be kind of cool. Like if she was like her attack dog or something mm -hmm. like that. <laughs> but would the mist even affect someone like Abaddon? Like I don't think you'd have to mist her, Christian. <laughs> oh, fair enough. <laughs> Look at the gimmick, handshake. right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think she'd be a good like heavy, you know, for, for Julia Hart. Like, because it does feel like she's putting together a stable. So, um, and speaking of which, we saw Willow apparently, you know, work her way out of the spell last week. 
um, you know, and she actually offered a handshake to Chris Statlander, even though Sky Blue was like protesting. So um, that was after a very good match between Willow and uh, Chris Statlander. So, um, yeah, I have no idea what the hell's going on with that angle. But I, I, I like Abaddon a lot, so I would like to see her feature more because she's something, you know, unique in the women's division. Um, so I don't know. Hopefully we do see more of her. Oh, um, also, I love, you know, Tony Storm's gimmick and everything. I don't want to have to read, you know, for every uh, video package that they do. All the uh, silent films. Oh. Uh, it drives me nuts. Well, it, so, it feels so are you slow watching and they're fight? not funny enough. Um, yeah. So it's it's taking place during commercial breaks on Dynamite. Gotcha. All right. So that's, yeah. So, I mean, it, it I do feel like they're a little redundant. And I'm worried about them overexposing her. You know, um, mm-hmm. because you're right, like they're really there's not much to them. So um, I agree, you know, to a certain extent, you know, but like it, it's it's a little more digestible as, you know, a commercial break vignette, if you will. Fair. I didn't realize that they were only happening during. Commercial yes, break, that makes more sense because they, they just don't feel like they're not they're not doing that much for there's them. not much like, substance to them no at all so like I, I and i feel like it's a wasted opportunity because i could see a really cool like package done that way uh uh-huh. it does sound like they're putting her and luther together like luther's mm-hmm. gonna be her butler so that might be fun you know i'm curious to see what that looks like he looks like kingpin coming out with her like <laughs> you know he's got in really good shape actually so he's put on a lot of size so um i don't know I don't know. We'll see what comes of it. But anyway, moving on, uh, we also had Ric Flair show up on AEW, yes. which was just insane. Apparently, Tony is gifting people, um, <laughs> <laughs> which I don't know feels wrong, but it is what it is. Um, yeah, I mean, it makes sense storyline wise. I just I don't need to see Ric Flair on my TV every week. And I love Ric Flair and everything like that. It does feel a little weird with kind of like the controversy surrounding Flair in recent years and mm-hmm. like how much shit like Tony talked about McMahon and everything to then bring in Flair, you know, feels a little <laughs> hypocritical, if you will. Um, you know, but as you know, someone who grew up a diehard Ric Flair fan, you know, I don't know. Uh it's complicated, like, I, right? <laughs> I was concerned when he started saying, like, oh, I'm going to stay with you until the pay-per-view. Like, I thought this was going to be, like, a one-and-done thing. but No, it sounds like that he said that it's weird that. because they didn't give him the AEW graphic. You know, hmm. like, you know, Ric Flair's all elite. Yeah. But Flair definitely made it sound like he was here until, like, Sting's final match. Um I feel like the old man's just going to turn on Sting again for like the hundredth time. <laughs> That's what cracked me up about like Sting's like um, interaction with Edge where he like is talking to, you know, Edge about like, you know, waking up and seeing Christian for who he is and everything like that. I was like, you were just standing in the ring with Ric Flair, <laughs> a man who stabbed you in the fucking back, literally <laughs> month after month for like, you know, 10 years on, you know, NWA slash WCW TV. So like, I grew up watching this take place. Uh-huh. Um, so like, it felt a little hypocritical once again of, you know, Sting to be <laughs> preaching to edge. Um, and it feels like, maybe we're going to go there again because I could definitely see flair stabbing sting in the back again for one last time. Right. 
Um, you know, maybe joining up with Christian or something, or maybe joining up with Andrade. Now, hear me out. Flair was originally supposed to come in before, you know, I, I don't even remember what the controversy was at the time. I think it was the Dark Side of the Ring thing. Right before that Dark Side of the Ring um, episode came out featuring Flair. Yes, that's what it was. Um, all signs pointed to Flair coming to AEW and, you know, managing Andrade. They even had like Flair on a BTE. So, I mean, it definitely felt like they're headed in that direction. And then, of course, all the controversy happened. And I'm not trying to downplay that at all. But, um, you know, and, you know, Tony had to pump the brakes. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. Like, I understand why he's part of the storyline. But even with all the alleged accusations aside, it, it's always hard to watch your childhood heroes grow old. Um, and Flair, unfortunately, has not grown old gracefully. Um, you know, seeing some of Xantix, you know, throughout the years, you know, especially the last couple of years have been a little cringeworthy. Um, mm-hmm. but that being said, I mean, the, the man's a draw still. Um, so to the point where I was actually surprised that they didn't like choose to advertise him. Um, I'm guessing that won't be the case later on. Like the next time he appears, I'm sure they're going to make a big deal out of it. Um, but yeah, Christian came out and just murdered him. Um, that fucking line about God. (laughs) I was like, holy shit. Like what is happening right now? Like (laughs) Christian is murdering Ric Flair in front of us live on TV, the black liver. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was proof that God doesn't exist because Ric Flair would have died 20 years ago. It was like, what are we doing right now? People (laughs) And then they didn't even give Flair a chance to rebuttal, which I thought was a little weird. Um, but it is what it is. I'm sure he'll eventually get there. Um, I mean, Flair was composed. I will give you that. Like, we, you know, it felt like he was there to do a job. He, you know, set his lines and everything like that. It didn't feel like he went off script. So that's good. But he's always unpredictable. You never know with Flair. So uh, we'll see how that all plays out. Uh, but yeah, we're going to be getting some tag team match, it looks like, at Full Gear with Darby Allen and Sting and a partner to be named later, which is probably going to end up being Adam Copeland uh, versus Christian, uh, Nick Wayne, and Luchasaurus. Luchasaurus, okay. Yeah. So um, I'm guessing they're going to go the Adam route, um, especially after the interaction once again between Sting and him. Um, I'm still not used to calling him Adam, though. That's just weird to me. Yeah. <laughs> speaking of uh heels being absolutely evil uh we had a video package well kind of a video package of uh swerve I think it was supposed to be live it was supposed to be live it was definitely recorded <laughs> yes. but oh yes yes <laughs> kayfabe wise though it was live yeah. swerve was in hangman's house um and went over his uh baby's crib yeah. uh it gave him a shirt saying that he pretty much owes his life uh to swerve at this point and that he was eventually coming uh, for him pretty much yeah. <laughs> to a, to an infant yes uh, <laughs> pretty dastardly um swerve continues to hit it out of the park um mm-hmm. home invasion shit i don't know it's not my cup of tea just because i i don't know it just takes me out of now home invasion angles just aren't my cup of tea just because i have a hard time like suspending my disbelief like that far 
Um, uh -huh. Like, where was the bomb? It's like, it, there's a lot where's of... Where's like, the bomb? <laughs> isn't Hangman on the phone calling the police? Like, and isn't he arrested? Uh -huh. Like, we literally have video footage. You went live on TV doing this. So, and you threatened a man's child. Um, yeah. So, I mean, and wouldn't Tony suspend him? I would hope Tony yeah. would suspend him, but it is what it is. So, I mean, it's a, it's like one step too far for me, but, you know, I get it. I mean, Swerve's definitely, you know, a super villain at this point. Um, and I'm looking forward to the rematch between him and Hangman. Uh, but lastly, the main events. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah, Okada showed up. Um, and he felt like almost an afterthought, which was weird. We had Okada <laughs> and Orange Cassidy teaming up against Ryan Danielson and Claudio. Um, I thought the match was fantastic. The crowd was super hyped for it. I mean, especially when like Okada and Brian finally faced off in the ring together. Um, you could just feel the magic in the air. Um, I'm guessing we're probably getting a rematch somewhere down the line. I could see that being at Wrestle Kingdom, maybe. The way the match ended was bizarre. But with that being said, it was also, you know, awesome to see Claudio first Okada. Um, you know, that's another dream matchup, uh, mm -hmm. you know, and they both worked really well together. Um, Claudio was great across the board throughout yes. this match. Like the transition that uh, they did for the swing with Orange was amazing. I want to uh, see Orange <laughs> versus Claudio, right? Uh -huh. I mean, well, that's happening. They're going to have the international. Oh, uh, yeah, they match. was announced. But yeah, they mm -hmm. felt like I mean, like they look like they belonged on Dancing with the Stars. Like, I mean, the way Claudio <laughs> was throwing Orange around so seamlessly, like it was insane. And Claudio has like a way of making every one of his like moments memorable in the ring. Um, you know, and this was just more of an example of that. So um, because I also want to see Okada versus Claudio after this, mm -hmm. like in a singles match. So but yeah, I mean so So we saw BCC pick up the win with Claudio uh pinning Cassidy, which, you know, leads to obviously, you know, the uh international title match uh that you just mentioned. But then um, Brian, right after the match, is working an injury angle. And, you know, we see the ref checking on him and everything like that and the rest of the Blackpool Combat Club. And, like, Okada is standing over him, like, kind of taunting him. And the best friends come out. And, like, there's just a lot of weirdness in the ring. Like, it feels like something else is supposed to be happening, but no one knows the for sure. Like aren't, like, sure what's going yeah. on. Like and then the show just kind of ends. Like, I don't know. Like, so I, I'm interested to find out, like, whether or not, you know, if, if it was like a timing issue or something like that or a miscommunication. Um, it, it felt like they almost didn't know if they were on the air or not because they were in an overrun. So mm -hmm. that was the only thing that I could kind of put my finger on is, you know, a possibility of what's what was actually happening because it felt like you know we we're supposed to get some like big standoff between the two stables but it just never happened uh because like oh they're gonna set up like some kind of like you know faction warfare or something like that um but no just everyone kind of standing around awkwardly uh which was weird so um yeah i mean it was a weird way to end the show but overall i thought the show was pretty awesome um and just a change of pace compared to what we usually get with our, you know, weekly AEW Dynamite shows. Now, do mm -hmm. I want the shows to be like this every week? Absolutely not. But once in a while, I, I think it's a good idea to shake things up. 
Well, that does it for this week. As a friendly reminder, make sure to follow us on your favorite podcast platform. And while you're there, leave a five star review. It really helps new listeners to find the podcast and for us to continue to also, grow. Also, if you like the stories from this week's episode and want to keep up to date with the show, follow us on social media at Amazing Nerd Show or stop by theamazingnerdshow.com. And hey, to support the show further and get additional weekly content, you can subscribe to us now on Patreon. Just follow the link in the show notes. Also, if you want to rep some nerd show swag, you can head over to tpublic.com to find t-shirts, hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd show swag as long as you live in the United States. All right, make sure to join us next week as we talk all the latest news and rumors in nerd culture. And whatever's going on in the world of wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's David. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.